Welcome everyone to the first episode of uh, this new podcast, MAP, a Melbourne Anarchist Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Kieran. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Kieran Bennett, or track me down on Facebook. Today we'll be talking about the ongoing East-West Link housing occupation in Bendigo Street, Collingwood, and Victoria Police's continued enthusiasm for the unrestricted use of pepper spray. Uh, connected to that, we'll also be talking about the government's attacks on higher education uh, and the response of the National Union of Students. But first, let me introduce this new podcast and uh, tell you a bit about what I hope to achieve with it. At its most basic level, this podcast uh, is intended to be a fortnightly offering, an anarchist perspective on current events, issues and struggles. I hope to include a mix of news, opinion, interviews and occasional forays into history or anarchist theory. I intend to centre this podcast on Melbourne. I'm interested in both understanding life and struggles within our city and applying anarchist theory and practice within this context. I chose the city as a unit of analysis largely because I thought the podcast needed something of a restricted scope in order to achieve a bit more clarity. But it goes without saying that I don't intend to be restricted by the geographical bounds of this city. I'm interested in all history, struggle uh, and processes and anything interesting that impacts upon life and struggles uh, in this city. In terms of the content and structure, I haven't made any hard and fast decisions of, about what these podcasts will look like. I am open to all ideas, uh, please get in touch. I'm also particularly interested in collaborating with anyone who might be interested in this project. If you'd be interested in collaborating on one episode, or on a particular issue, or on multiple episodes, drop me a message on Facebook or Twitter, I'd be keen to have a chat. A week ago, the Homeless Persons Union launched an occupation of unoccupied East West Link houses uh, located on Bendigo Street in Collingwood. These houses were compulsorily acquired as part of the failed East West Link project, and the government has been holding them empty as they prepare to drip feed them back into the private market. There was a promise from the uh, Daniel Andrews state government to turn some 20 of these houses uh, into social housing. The action by the Homeless Persons Union has sought to highlight the fact that there are some 25,000 people estimated to be homeless in the Greater Melbourne area. At the same time, there are 30,000 people or more languishing on the public housing waiting list, and the wait for public housing has blown out to nearly a decade. At the same time that this is happening, there are an estimated 80,000 empty residential properties in the Greater Melbourne area. But the Homeless Persons Union action goes further than this. It's critiquing the government's focus on social housing over public housing. Social housing is housing managed by NGOs, and it actually degrades the autonomy of tenants. NGOs such as the Salvation Army uh, establish all kinds of conditions or require participation in all manner of programs in order to access some form of housing. The Homeless Persons Union is pointing out that people should have a right to housing and that housing should be secure. The thing about public housing over social housing is that it is generally secure. It is generally a place that's, uh, reasonably speaking, secure for the life of a tenant. Rent is almost guaranteed affordable in that it's pegged to a percentage of income. Social housing, by comparison, might be rent reduced, but it doesn't involve the same guarantee of real affordability. And the big kicker for homeless people is that social housing is often linked to all manner of problematic religious groups or uh, NGOs or charities. 
The Homeless Persons Union have announced they intend to continue their occupation on Bendigo Street in Collingwood until their demands are met. The state government is presently trying to wedge occupiers by announcing that this or that house presently under occupation will be converted into social housing. Uh, and they've announced in particular an initiative that will see uh, a selection of houses, it's not known how many of these, uh, involved in some kind of social housing initiative targeted on domestic violence. The Homeless Persons Union are demanding instead that all East West Link houses presently owned by the state government, presently being held, va uh, held vacant, be converted into public housing. And they're demanding this because they want a significant expansion in the public housing stock. By way of background, what we've seen in recent years is the progressive degrading of public housing stock. More and more public housing has been sold off to private developers or decommissioned. And there is a plan afoot to turn large parts of the state government's existing public housing stock over to social housing initiatives. There is, in Melbourne, a housing crisis. The fact of the matter is that there are tens of thousands of people who simply cannot access housing. But on top of that, there are hundreds of thousands of people experiencing uh, tenuous access to housing. There are possibly millions of us who are going through the continual process of renting uh, for short periods of time on insecure leases with very, few, uh, with very few rights. There needs to be a movement around housing in our city. The current situation is unacceptable. We need to raise the demand of housing as a basic human right. There shouldn't be any requirement that your access to housing be restricted solely to your ability to pay or your participation in this or that program. Of course, the fact, uh, the fact exists under capitalism that housing is a commodity bought and sold for profit and not instead distributed on the basis of human need. In Melbourne today, this aspect of the capitalist distribution of housing, of housing as a commodity that is speculated on rather than as a product that is distributed according to human need, this, this aspect is massively exacerbated by government policy in Australia. We've heard a little bit about it recently, but uh, you may not be aware of the extent to which uh, government policy favours uh, the rich in the housing sector. There are two key policies that turn uh, that that further fuel the housing crisis generated by capitalism uh, in Melbourne today. There are two key federal government policies, and the first is the application of what's called negative gearing, and the second is a capital gains tax concession. These policies combined amount to a massive transfer of wealth from the public purse to the pockets of the wealthiest. It's only the wealthiest who can afford to go out and borrow large sums of money to buy properties against which they claim the losses on as a tax deduction uh, and sit on them speculating on price in order to eventually sell them for a profit uh, and, and, and avoid the taxation normally associated with capital gains. It is, it is a total rort. The idea that housing, something as basic as that, uh, would be a commodity that can simply be bought and sold for private gain uh, with no accounting for human need is disgusting in and of itself. But the combination of policies that we have in place in Australia uh, further massively exacerbate that dynamic and further alienate the ability of uh, working class people in our society to secure housing and secure a safe place to live. 
And this is why the action being undertaken by the Homeless Persons Union is so interesting uh, and is important. They're putting the issue of housing on the agenda, but they're also putting it on the agenda in a way that highlights one of the major problems caused by capitalism in the housing market in our city. They're putting on the agenda the disconnect between human need uh, and the and the interests of property speculators and highlighting the fact that so many go homeless while so many houses go tenantless. If you want to learn more about the uh, Homeless Persons Union, the ongoing occupation in Bendigo Street in Collingwood, and about the issues, I recommend heading down. Head down to number two Bendigo Street, introduce yourself, and check out one of the more interesting political actions happening in our city today. The other political action that's been happening uh, this past week is around the federal government's massive attacks on higher education. Uh, they're presently softening up the terrain uh, for the federal budget by announcing an apparent cost blowout or a projected cost blowout in the cost of maintaining the HECS system, or what's now called the uh, Help Fee Loan System. Uh, so this is from the Australian Financial Review. The Parliamentary Budget Office estimates the annual burden of supporting help loans will increase to more than $11 billion in 2025-26, um, up from $1.7 billion this financial year. Of course, we have to point out the absolutely obvious in this situation. Every increase in the cost of university tuition massively increases the likely cost of running the HECS system. The reason the Parliamentary Budget Office estimates that this massive increase will occur uh, in the projected cost of, of maintaining HECS is because the federal government intends to deregulate university fees. If universities can charge the hypothetical $100,000 for a degree, students will accrue that as debt through the HECS system. There are a whole bunch of other things that also contribute to the apparently ballooning cost of maintaining the HECS loan system for the federal government. And it's worth pointing out the absolute crime that's occurred in the vocational education system. In the past, TAFEs were federally funded uh, and uh, reasonably low fee-based. There was small upfront fees uh, as some kind of uh, ongoing payment option if you couldn't afford the small upfront fees. Fees were practically token uh, compared to the cost of running TAFEs. Uh, and in the last few years, we saw the opening up of uh, the HEX fee help system to TAFEs, uh, the massive expansion of fees for going to TAFE, and then the expansion of that uh, vet fee help system to the private sector. What this amounted to in practice was that all manner of dodgy private diploma mills had access to government loans of thirty and forty thousand dollars for selling diplomas of uh, beauty therapy or whatever on an almost entirely unregulated environment. So we saw operators like the Phoenix Institute pop up and start running mills where they went door to door or phoned people up who'd responded to job ads or whatever, trying to sell them the idea of you too can complete this diploma online in just a few months and we'll give you a free laptop uh, and there's nothing to pay until you earn $54,000 a year. And hey, what do we see? Uh, the, the massive expansion in the cost of maintaining higher education loans to the federal government. Anyway, the government has announced that they'll cut the costs of maintaining uh, the higher education loan scheme by attacking working class students. 
One of the key ways they want to do this is they want to reduce the repayment threshold for a HEX loan or help loan from $54,000 a year to $42,000 a year. It's worth putting this into perspective. $54,000 a year can sound like a lot of money uh, when you're struggling to get by on Ausstudy or Newstart. But the fact of the matter is the current median wage in Australia is $57,000 a year and the current average rate, uh, the current average wage is $74,000 a year. The fact of the matter is $42,000 is a low income, a low annual income if you're living in the city of Melbourne. And these changes, these, these attacks, uh, this, this lowering of the HEX repayment threshold will disproportionately affect women. Women are more likely to be doing low-income work. The gender pay gap still exists. It remains at 17.87%. And who's likely to be doing the tertiary educated jobs that presently do not pay $54,000 a year? Think early childhood education. Think uh, nursing. Think effectively all the professions dominated uh, by women. The National Union of Students has called a rally to oppose the federal government's higher education policies. A fair bit of their propaganda focuses on the so-called grave robbing aspect. Of all of the policies that the Liberals are sort of floating at the moment, uh, the idea of recovering unpaid hex debts from deceased estates is probably of least concern to students in, in the real world. The things that really do affect working class students is that lowering of the repayment threshold and the proposal to further cut 20% out of uh, tertiary education funding, out of university funding. The federal government does this, I think, very cynically. They want to get their fee deregulation through, and one way to try and muster more support for this from the university sector is to further starve it of funds. The more underfunded universities are, the more amenable they'll be to charging yet more to students under a deregulated fee model. Ultimately, if we are to address these problems, we have to demand a return to free education. And what is really disappointing to see is that the National Union of Students no longer really campaigns in this area. It might still be a policy somewhere, I'm not quite sure, but when you consult their website, at most you see a call for affordable education, and when it came to promoting this and other rallies, the words free education are nowhere to be seen. Ultimately, it's the bosses who primarily benefit from having a tertiary educated workforce. Ultimately, they're the ones that need higher skilled workers. We need to raise the demand once again that they're the ultimate beneficiaries of tertiary education of the working class, and they're the ones who should be paying for it. Speaking of attacks by the Liberal Party, there was a demonstration last Friday against a Liberal Party dinner uh, that was held at Docklands. The Liberals were celebrating 20 years since the election of the Howard government with a fundraiser that cost a $1,100 a head. Contingents went down to raise issues uh, related to higher education and attacks, refugee detention and workers' rights, but I think the biggest issue coming out of the night was the police response. I think it's worth considering how the nature of the police response to demonstrations, uh, in particular direct action, has changed in the past 12 months in Melbourne. On the surface of it, there wasn't that much that should have stood out about last Friday night's demonstration. Approximately 150 people went down in order to be loud, uh, wave signs around and shout at guests attending the dinner. 
had there been any intention to blockade the venue or attempt to truly disrupt it, uh, they would have needed uh, three, four times as many people as went down there. The fact of the matter is that the size of the police response, the size of the venue, and the small number of people who showed out for the rally, you know, 150 rather than 500, uh, meant that police well and truly had the numbers and the resources uh, to control the space, to escort guests in and out, to push anyone aside who wanted to shout. But the police response was not standard. The police resorted to pepper spray in almost every instance. Uh, Whenever anyone approached police, whenever people were attempting to access the venue, the police's first response was pepper spray, and not just pepper spray at individuals, it was the mass use of pepper spray against the crowd. This has changed. This is different. Before 2015, in 2014, if we'd seen these kind of rallies, uh, the police and demonstrators might have jostled a bit, police might push through, one or two people might be briefly detained, uh, but the use of chemical weapons against a crowd in this manner is something that has emerged in the past 12 months. I found myself helping in the first aid response. Uh, Approximately 20 people were injured, too seriously, and uh, we were dealing with pepper spray to eyes, pepper spray in mouths, pepper spray all over the skin. Uh, So the two people who were uh, more seriously injured had some breathing difficulties that had to be seen to, uh, and there were a few people, uh, you know, shaking quite seriously, shock, that kind of thing. The police response to demonstrations has changed protesters organizing to contest space or to be disruptive are going to need to take the change in police tactics into account. I think that the response from demonstrators most likely will be to carry safety glasses and a dust mask wherever. Face coverings are essential for safety in this context. If you inhale a quantity of pepper spray, breathing difficulties and in fact uh, problems around maintaining breathing uh, soon follow. It's interesting in this instance that uh, what we've seen from the police, uh, as they've gone to use more and more pepper spray and as people have responded to that uh, by attempting to wear masks to keep pepper spray out of their mouths and so on, uh, that the first response of the police is to call for bans on protesters wearing face coverings or having goggles. They want their chemical weapons to be effective. Uh, There's an article I'll link to in the show notes where Victoria Police Assistant Commissioner Stephen Lane says that protesters wear masks to avoid police ID and to mitigate the effects of pepper spray. Well, uh, I think it's worth pointing out that the actions of Victoria Police in these instances have left demonstrators with very little alternative. Police have shown that pepper spray is now the order of the day when it comes to protest policing, uh, and people are going to have to respond with basic measures to ensure their safety as a response. Another thing that I think it's worth making note of in context uh, in relation to the fact that Victoria Police have now escalated the level of violence they're using against demonstrators is the fact that the Police Association has re-affiliated with the Victorian Trades Hall Council last year. When we see the violence that the police are all too prepared to use against union members uh, at demonstrations, I think it's worth questioning on what basis the Victoria Police Association is allowed to affiliate with the workers' movement. Well, this concludes episode one of MAP, a Melbourne anarchist podcast. Thanks for bearing with me. Uh, It's a bit experimental. It's obviously a bit stop and start, and uh, I've just been getting the knack of a few different things. 
I'd really appreciate any ideas or contributions for next fortnight's episode. If you want to suggest content, an interview, or an issue I should be talking about, shoot me a message on Twitter. My handle is at Kieran Bennett. One thing I've learnt recording this episode is I think they will uh, all flow a lot better if I'm able to collaborate with somebody else. So if you're interested in recording an episode with me, I'd particularly love to hear from you. Get in touch. Uh, Stay tuned for next fortnight's episode, uh, which should be released uh, Wednesday, April the 27th, if all things go according to plan.